If you have a Bible, turn with me to Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. And we want to pick up our study in verse 14. Now we're looking at part 2 of Second Timothy chapter 2. We want to come to the conclusion. Uh, this morning, continue in faith. And so Paul has been emphasizing this uh, to Timothy. Remember that Paul is in a Roman prison. He's got his own hardships and pain and suffering. We know that it's his second imprisonment. We know that he's going to be beheaded. Uh, historically, we know that. But in his heart, he desires to, to write these last epistles. He writes to uh, First and Second Timothy, and then he writes to Titus. Uh, these three epistles have often been called the pastoral epistles. And so the encouragement uh, to a young pastor, and yet we know that Timothy was at least a young 30, uh, 30-ish somewhere, but they would still be considered young uh, in the Jewish culture. And Timothy was going through his own personal trials. And so he encourages him, continue in faith. And that's an encouragement to us as we go through our own trials and our own hardships and pains. I mean, who doesn't suffer uh, some point or another? Sometimes it's physical, and sometimes it's a spiritual suffering. But yet, we need to continue in faith. We need to hold on to that faith. When we speak about continuing in faith, is to continue in the belief system that we have. That belief we have in Christ. That belief that we have in His Word. Continue in it. And so Paul is going to continue this encouragement to Timothy concerning uh, the work of the ministry. And yet we can apply it to our own lives. Here in the chapter, Paul speaks, continue in faith. The God-given faith bestowed upon Timothy, even as a youth. Remember, his mother and his grandmother nurtured him in the Word of God. But now you're a man of God. And even that much more, continue in faith. Now, we shared this last week before we began our teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 18, Paul says, To fight the good fight. Persevere. Pursue that ministry that God's called you to. Fight that fight of your salvation. God's called you to saving grace. You started in the Spirit. Finish in the Spirit. You started in faith. Complete it in faith. And then we went to verse 19, and he says, Holding on to faith and a good conscience, as some have rejected these and have been shipwrecked. And so we continue in faith, lest the enemy comes and takes us down. To become shipwrecked means to become a castaway. To become shipwrecked means to begin to, uh, to fall away from the faith. And we see that so much. And so he begins here. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and look at verse 14. Timothy, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, no gain, to the ruin of their hearers. And so the encouragement, we have to continue in that faith. And Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. And so encourage everyone of these things. It was a command. The word to charge means to commend them before the Lord Jesus Christ. To stop fighting over words, words uh, and arguments that are useless and worthless. 
It is sad, but these things happen in the church. They're not of God. They're not of God's service. They can ruin. Notice the Greek word. The word ruin. They can cause apostasia. Uh, those who hear them. You can make others to fall. And so imagine your words, your arguments, your useless babbles. We're going to get into that. It can cause others to trip in their faith. And so we have to be very careful. Now, the key here is that Timothy encourages the church, the body of Christ, to continue in their faith, to remain faithful, even though you're going to go through trials and tribulations and hardships. Continue and finish the race. I want you to turn with me to a passage, and I want to share from it. Go to the book of Hebrews with me, and let's go to chapter 12. Paul really spent some time in encouraging Timothy I believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to, uh, to Paul's heart while he was in that imprisonment. Listen, you need to encourage Timothy. You need to encourage Titus. And how many times do we have to be encouraged, especially in this simplicity when we speak about faith? Hang on to faith. Hold on to faith. Continue in faith. You began in faith. Finish in faith. And so notice in Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 1, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a so great of a cloud of witness, let, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run, and I like what he says here, with endurance, perseverance, the race that is set before us. Continue in your God-given faith. Don't give up on your God-given faith. Look at verse 2 now. Looking unto Jesus, and I want you to mark this in your Bible, because we often ask, well, how and where do I get faith? It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endures the cross, dis despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says he sits at the right hand of God, and he prays for us. You see, church, Jesus paid the full price for our salvation. He paid the full price of faith, if you may. He paid the full price at Calvary's cross. And so we look at faith. Where does it come from? It says here in, in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith. The beginning He's the author and the finisher of faith. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the A to the Z, we're told in Scripture. The author and finisher of our faith. Now, let me just encourage you. You see, Paul was encouraging Timothy some 1950 plus years ago. And here we are today still needing this encouragement. Continue in the faith. You see, Christian church this morning, life is short. Life is short. Time is running out in this world. We, the church, the true body of Christ, have the answers. And that answer is Jesus Christ, born, crucified, died, and was buried. And then we know the resurrection. Then if we know these things, Paul's encouraging Timothy and the church at, at Ephesus, stop your bickering. Stop your murmuring and complaining. Stop those spiritual arguments. And we're going to continue in the study, and you're going to see something. You see, when the church fights amongst each other, 
when the church argues amongst each other, there's always those that are going to be watching. And they're going to see the church fighting and arguing and bickering. And they'll say to themselves, well, if that's church, why should I go? Be careful with theological arguments. We speak about the rapture of the church, and there's a group that believe that the rapture of the church will, will take place before the seven years of tribulation. There's another group that believes the rapture of the church will take place in the middle of the seven years of tribulation. And then there's a third group that believe the tribulation, we will go through it completely, and then the rapture of the church. Seven years of tribulation, and then the rapture. So you have three groups, and they're all Christian. And you have this argument. Don't let it, you know, take you away from your faith. We know that the Lord is coming. We know that there's a seven years of tribulation according to the book of Revelation. We know that the rapture of the church will take place according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. We know these things are going to take place. But why argue? Why fight over these things? And that's exactly what uh, was taking place. Look at verse 15. He continues now. One of my favorite verses, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Timothy, remain diligent. Listen to the word diligent when we speak about studying the scriptures. Remain uh, laboring, uh, toiling, perspiration. Work at studying the word of God. Work at being a Christian. Study the Word of God. Pray, witness, have faith. Do the things of God. Present yourself, and he says, approved of God, acceptable to Him. Be a worker, a laborer, a toiler, a servant of the Word of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, one who is not ashamed of the gospel nor of Jesus Christ, but rightly at dividing the Word of truth. I like the Greek word here. When we study the scriptures, and that's what we like to do here at Calvary Chapel, we're to dissect the word of God. That's what it says here, uh, to rightly divide, to dissect it, to expound on the word, to dissect and expound truth. Jesus said that he's truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to my Father in heaven but through me. You see, so many people like to get to heaven. Let's go through our works. The better a person I am, the more work I can do, the more doors I can knock on, the more bicycles I can drive. You know, and we have those groups out there. But Jesus wants you to come to him by faith. We go through the cross just like anybody else. We must believe what took place at the cross. You see, Calvary Chapel can't save you. Pastor Bob can't save you. Nobody, no organization can save you. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. You must go through the cross if you want to get to heaven. And so Paul encourages Timothy, teach them. Teach them the word of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. Continue the straight course and path of faith. This should be our goal as it was Paul's goal. As it was encouraged for Timothy to have that goal. The church at Ephesus. 
our goal, this should be my goal this morning until we go home to be with the Lord. Be diligent. Study the Word of God. Rightfully divide the Word of truth. It is so important, church. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy. I believe there was, I don't know if Timothy was going to leave the ministry or thought of leaving the ministry. He had to stir up the gift that was within him. And so he was going through his own struggles, his own pains. Maybe it's easier outside in the world. Maybe it's easier not being a pastor. Maybe it's easier just being Joe Christian. And so Paul encourages him. And he goes back to the, uh, the idle talk. Look at verse 16. But shun profane and idle babbling. He says, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Now he's speaking to Timothy. And obviously this was going on at the church at Ephesus. Timothy, continue in faith. That's what we've been sharing. But shun, listen to the word shun. Avoid like the plague, profane and idle babbling. Avoid heathen, wicked, empty, fruitless talk. Fruitless chatter, all it does is increase. Listen, it builds ungodliness. It only leads to sin, to wickedness. It does not build up the body of Christ, but it tears down the body of Christ. It can also weaken the body of Christ. It tears down and it causes ungodliness. Christian, he's saying stay away from profanity. Now listen to me. Stay away from evil, sinful stories. Stay away from evil and sinful jokes. Stay away from evil and sinful tales. Now, it's been a long time since I have worked in the secular workplace. But I can still remember the things that go on, especially on Monday mornings. The talk, the chatter. And then you're the Christian, and you're there right in the midst of them. And then you know if you pull away, then they're going to accuse you. Well, who do you think you are? You think you're better than us. But we're not supposed to listen uh, to these things. And they begin to tear you down. And before you know it, you begin to be part of them. If you study the life of Lot, it was Abraham's nephew. When they came to the outskirts of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham told Lot, Choose where you want to raise your family and to feed your flocks and, and to build your, you know, your nest egg. And the Bible says that Lot, first of all, camped outside of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you follow the life of Lot. The next time you find him inside of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then you find him a trading business at the city gates at Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it's so easy to get tripped up. And we need to run from these things. Shun profane and idle babbling. I want you to turn to a passage. Go to Luke chapter 9 with me. And verse 23. You know, it, it takes a lot of guts. It takes truly a man of God or a woman of God to walk away from those stories at work. I've been there. When I come to Saving Grace, everybody at my workplace knew it. And boy, they would challenge you. They would put the magazines in your workplace. They would start a dirty joke up because you were there. And then when you walked away, they would accuse you. But you have to stand your ground. Notice the scripture. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, 
Jesus says it all. As a Christian, we're to take up our cross and to follow him. He begins in verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and to follow me. Now, Jesus is not asking us to, you know, die on the cross. But he does ask us to pick up our own cross. The cross is a symbol of death. We're to learn to die to self on a daily basis and to follow Christ. Now, the word to deny here is very strong when you see it. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. The word to deny means to disconnect yourself from the world of sin. Sin is still there. And you're going to be part of sin. But you're supposed to disconnect yourself. Listen, I don't want nothing to do with that. I did that in the past, and I'm not going to do it anymore. You have to stay, take a stand. And that's what you mean by continuing in your faith. Look at verse 24. For whosoever desires uh, to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we must come to the cross, and we must die. This old man, this old woman must die. The old Bob, the old George, the old Fred must die. And then he goes into verse 25, radical statement. For what profit is it to a man or to a woman if he or she gains the whole world, but he himself or herself is destroyed or lost? radical statement and so what does it profit a man to gain everything to get all the gusto now there's nothing wrong with achieving there's nothing wrong with you know going to school and getting an education there's nothing wrong with opening a business but when you strive so much I mean look at the world out there whatever it takes and right now the way the economy is going the car industry, the housing industry, and people don't know where to turn and, and how to act. For what does it profit a man or a woman uh, to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? In verse 26, he concludes it. He says, For whosoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. If we deny Jesus, he will deny us, the scriptures say. He will deny us before his Father who is in heaven. Look at some of our family members. Look at some of our friends and co-workers. Look at some of our bosses and leaders. Look at some of the athletes that we admire so much. Look at people in the music industry. And the people in Hollywood, the acting industry. And I mean, their whole strive, everything, you know, they're pushing. Everybody, there's a level at a certain level. Look at the athletes. They sign for such big bonuses and such. And are they happy? They're constantly getting divorced. Then they get stuck with high alimony. I mean, it just doesn't add up. We admire their, you know, their portrayal on screen, and then they're constantly getting divorced. They're never happy. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his or her own soul? You see, we have to come to the cross. We have to come to the cross. 
We just recently saw that movie, Fireproof. And that young man, Kurt Cameron, beautiful actor, but he separated himself from the world and he only makes clean movies. You know what was interesting? My wife and I, we went to the movie and we sat down. It was about 10 people. And yet the, the, the 12 plucks over here was full. Everybody was going to see everything else. And then when I got there, I get all frustrated. Go, oh, man, we're going to be late. We're not going to get a seat. I could have sat anywhere. <laughs> but they don't want to see those type of movies. They want to see rape and murder and mayhem, debauchery. They want to see sin. We're supposed to separate from these things. Now, go to verse 17. He continues. And this message will spread. It'll spread like a cancer. If you have a King James, it'll spread like a, like a canker. And then he names two people that were causing disruption there at the church at Ephesus. And their message will spread like a cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort. Timothy, why do I need to be encouraged to follow in faith? And he gives us two reasons here. Hymenius and Philetus, two men from Ephesus who have spread their message of ungodliness. It spread like a wildfire. It spread like a cancer. Uh, the King James says a canker. It speaks of a gangrene. It speaks of a gnawing, eating ulcer. You must cut it off before it spreads like fire in the body of Christ or death will come. Many times it causes ungodliness. And that's exactly what uh, these men were bringing into the fellowship. I was looking at this word ungodliness, and I wanted to just get a, a deeper meaning. Uh, Vincent's Bible Dictionary says that the word ungodliness speaks of godless living, wickedness, anything that is not like God, not holy, not righteous, not pure, anything that does not honor God by word or deed, that does not show reverence and, and worship toward God, anything that does not obey God that violates, listen, God's commandments and goes against God's will. We see that so much today in the world. In fact, they come against you. They come against you because you're a Christian. Now, I want you to turn with me to a passage. Go back a little bit. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 18. And so Paul's coming to the conclusion of that chapter, and he warns about these ungodly men. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation because we've studied this already, and I just want you to get the crux of it. Timothy, my son. Here are my instructions for you, based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they give you the confidence to fight well in the Lord's battles. Paul knew that Timothy would go through trials, personal trials, ministerial trials. Paul knew that Timothy would go through physical pain, spiritual pain. And Timothy's not alone. If you've been a Christian long enough, you face these type of trials they're part of our life and there's nothing we can do but to ride the wave and God will sustain you he takes you through these things 
Look at verse 19. He says, now cling tightly. As you're going to go through your trials, cling tightly to your faith in Christ Jesus. And always keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience as a result of their faith. And here's that word again. And they have been shipwrecked. Because they couldn't handle the trials, the pressures. They have become castaways. They became stranded. No faith. They left their faith. They began to apostatize. They began to backslide. This is going to take place in the last days. That's what the promise is. And then Paul names Hymenius again. Look at verse 20. And he adds another one. He says, and Hymenius and Alexander are two examples of this. I turned them over to Satan that they would learn not to blaspheme God. What a radical statement. I can honestly say in the 26 years of ministry, I have never handed anybody over to Satan. I pray for them. I encourage them. But Paul was frustrated with these men. They had caused havoc in the church. And so listen to what he says. I turned them over, he says, to Satan, that they would not learn not to blaspheme. Give them over to the enemy. Paul did not mess around. Neither does, listen, the Holy Spirit. I like what the King James says. I've delivered them over to Satan. The Greek says, I have entrusted them over to the enemy. And we're going to see why he handed them over. They came against the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. The key of Christianity, the core of our belief system. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the whole doctrine of the resurrection. And if there is no resurrection then we are men and women most miserable. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 18 now. And he's speaking about these men, these men that disobeyed, these men that were like a cancer, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrew the faith of some. So they were bringing in false teachings there at Ephesus, false doctrine that ate men's souls like a canker worm. From the Hebrew, we get the word canker worm, yelka. And it speaks of the caterpillar. It speaks of the canker worm, the licking locusts, which licks up the grass of the field. The false doctrine kills. It's like a gangrene. It eats the rots, and it eats and rots the flesh. If not taken care of, it will kill you. The same with false doctrine. It will kill you spiritually. Now, it's obvious if you're doing something around the house and you happen to, you know, cut yourself and it's a deep cut, you need to take care of it. And even sometimes by going to the emergency and then getting some stitches and then getting it cleansed and taking care of it. But then if infection sets in and all of a sudden you see a redness and then all of a sudden you can't use the arm anymore and you say, well, it's going to be okay. I've already gone to the doctor. You need to take care of it. Because then pus is going to set in. And then before you know it, uh, you could lose your limb. And so that's the cancer that's in the body of Christ. You know they're spreading false doctrine. This is why Paul called them out. Hymenius and, and Philetus and now Alexander, they've caused me great harm. They were coming and undermining the doctrine of the resurrection. It's important that we see this church. 
Look at verse 19. Nevertheless, even though these guys are causing havoc, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God, he says, stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Timothy, hang on to the sure foundation of your Christian walk. You see, our sure foundation, we need to stand on it, and it's Christ. Christ is our strong foundation, the foundation of the church. The church stands upon Christ. I looked up the word foundation. And, you know, when you're going to set a house and, you know, you have the concrete, you have the walls and such, that's a foundation. you got to dig a trench accordingly and, and then fill it up and all the things. But when you use the word foundation theologically, listen to what my Bible dictionary says. The basis on which an idea or a belief rests on. My belief, I rest upon Christ my foundation, your foundation. Christ is our foundation. The Word of God is our foundation. Now we come to Christ. Paul says here in verse 19, the seal is the mark of ownership. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says that Jesus has placed the seal of the Holy Spirit upon each and every one that is His. There in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, You heard the gospel. You receive the gospel, you receive Christ, and then he seals it with the Holy Spirit. You're a purchased possession. If we are his, listen, then depart from iniquity. If we are one of God's children, depart from iniquity. I've shared this story with you before. In Genesis chapter 39, a young man by the name of Joseph is being tested in his own faith. And Potiphar's wife, she has her eye on this young man. And she wants to lie with him sexually. And the time comes that she, you know, gets rid of all the servants. And she has the house to herself and just her and Joseph. And she picks her time and, and she says, Joseph, lie with me. Joseph has an opportunity now to do two things, to partake or to run. The Bible says that he ran from sin. The Bible says that she held on to his garment. That's the best she could do. And so we need to understand that if our foundation is on Christ, we continue in our faith. We stand upon that foundation. And he's secured that foundation by sealing us, listen, by the power of his Holy Spirit. Now let's go to verse 20. And he speaks of two types of vessels that are in the church. And he speaks about a great house. Now, at this time, the great house would have been the temple of God. It was everything. Solomon's temple, Herod's temple eventually, it was everything. But in a great house, look at verse 20. There are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but there's also vessels of wood and clay or earthen vessels. And some of these vessels, listen to what he says, are for honor and some for dishonor. This great house, obviously, is reference to the temple. Various vessels for various uses. There were vessels, and the word is better translated, containers. 
vessels of gold, silver, wood, and clay. Notice that some of these vessels were for honor and some for dishonor. So I want you to think in the temple, there would be vessels that held the wine, held the precious oils. Yet there would also be vessels that held the refuge and and the scum and the dirt and the grime. You see, in the world, we were vessels of dishonor. And now we come to uh, the place of a true Christian, a believer, a born-again believer, a follower of Christ. I desire to be a vessel of honor, to be used by God uh, for his glory, for his kingdom, a vessel of honor to please the master. You see, in the world, we don't like to admit it, but we please the enemy. But now our desire as Christians is to please God. Now they're looking at the temple. Rightfully so. There were vessels that were used for honor and vessels for dishonor. But then Paul takes it a step further. I want you to write these two verses down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul reminds us, you know now that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Defile not that temple. You see, you're a temple not made of hands. The, the temple that they were go to worship, it was built and made by man. Yes, God dwelt there. But now Paul tells us in our new relationship with Christ, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And we're not to defile that temple. He takes it a step further. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. You're the temple of God. He reiterates that. You're the temple of God, and you're not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. And then he says, because he purchased you at a price. You see, Jesus paid for you and paid for me with his precious blood. He paid for all of our sins at Calvary. He died, the Bible says, once and for all. No more animal sacrifices. And Jesus died to give us life, life eternal. There's two types of vessels. One was a vessel of dishonor. That's the way we were in our B.C. days. But now I come to Christ, and I'm a vessel of honor. In the vessel of honor, God tabernacles within us. We come to church here on Sunday mornings. We come to church on on, on Wednesday. God is here. But don't think that God stays here. He goes home with you. And so tomorrow we go to school. We go to work. We might even go to the gym. God's with you. Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so then you are to be a, a vessel of honor at all times, church. Notice verse 21 now. He goes on, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter or our past sins, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Let there be a cleansing and a washing. Let there be a purging from our past sins, our B.C. days. We have been emptied of our past sins. If we've come to the cross. There's a beautiful psalm. I want to read it to you. Listen. 
In Psalm 103, verse 12, the psalmist says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he, speaking of God, removed our transgressions, removed our sins from us. Because our sins have been removed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, then we are vessels of honor to serve the master. Because we are his, because we are emptied of sin, he makes us vessels of honor for his glory. We have also been sanctified, he says. The word sanctified, set apart from the world and now consecrated unto God. Our Lord, our Master, our King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And here it is, unto good works. You see, I know that I can't work my way into the kingdom of God. It is a free gift. And so we come to saving grace. But because the Holy Spirit's working in and through me, I desire to serve now. I want to do good works. You know, I won't go over to the rescue mission because it's Thanksgiving and I want to let people see me serve others. I'll go there because it's not Thanksgiving. I'll go there because the Holy Spirit has prompted me. And so it's important that we don't look to works to save us, but we look to Christ and works will come automatically. Good works will come. Verse 22, listen to this. And the encouragement to Timothy. We're to continue in the faith, yes. Now, Timothy's the pastor at Ephesus. He's in his early 30s, but he still considers him a youth. Paul still looks at him as his son in the spirit. Timothy, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue faith, a peace that is, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So, Timothy, please continue in your faith, but flee, run away from youthful lust. Now, young people, listen to this. Juvenile sinful desires of the flesh. And here's the key. God gives us the ability through the Holy Spirit to take control of our hormones. Well, I couldn't help myself. We have the authority in Christ Jesus if we're Christian. The Holy Spirit will bring these things to check. Timothy, pursue now. Follow after. Press forward towards righteousness. Now, when we speak of righteousness, it can trip us up. But righteousness is basically right living for God. Pursue after faith. Pursue after that belief system. Pursue after what you stand for in Christ that you believe now and you stand by faith. Now, I want to add this word, pursue after hope. Hope that Jesus is going to return for his church. Pursue after peace. You see, in the world, we always look for peace. Man, if I could just get some peace. If we could just get out of wars and, and have peace. If we could just have this rest if we could just have this quietness, that's what peace speaks about. Jesus says, I will give you the peace that passes all understanding. Another word that I'd like to pursue, pursue fellowship. Fellowship uh, with all of those that call upon the name of the Lord. 
Pursue it with a pure heart. A clean mind, that's what he speaks of. A clean heart, a clean soul. All because of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're taking notes in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, this is a fourfold doctrine of the church. The early church pursued, number one, doctrine. Secondly, the church pursued fellowship. Thirdly, the church pursued communion, breaking bread with the Lord. And, and fourthly, the church pursued prayer. It is so important to have sound doctrine. And that's what we do here on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. We teach the Word of God. Fellowship. This evening, we're going to get together and we're going to have our Christmas dinner. That's fellowship. And then the times that we break bread, the Lord's Supper, that's communion, koinonia. And then prayer. You've heard Ray pray. You've heard Pastor Jeff pray. You've heard me pray. And so we come to prayer. And this is a fourfold doctrine of the church. And now Paul continues to encourage. Look at verse 23. Timothy, here's some more encouragement. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate, listen, strife. Avoid these things. Timothy, you have to continue in your faith. And that's encouragement to us this morning. Continue in our faith. And then he says, avoid or run from, and listen to the translation in the Greek, stupid, dull, absurd, block-headed arguments. Sounds like Charlie Brown, you old blockhead, he said. But we get caught up into these things. Also, he takes it another step, run from dumb disputes, dumb questions. Because you know they generate, listen, strife. The word to generate is very strong here. The Greek word is breed. We get into these arguments. We get into these uh, scuffles, whatever it might be. In the church, they breed controversy. They breed fighting. They breed battles. They breed quarreling. We should pursue, as we read in verse 22, pursue righteousness. Faith, hope, love, and peace, possibly with all men that also follows Christ. But move away from these things. See, Hymenius and Philetus and Alexander, they were bringing this kind of strife in the body of Christ. And, and Paul points them out. They became a canker. They became a cancer. Cut them off. And then he takes it to verse 24, and he uses the word servant. It is not the word diakonos, but it's the word doulos, a bond slave. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle. Be gentle to all and apt to teach or able to teach and to be patient. If you're a true servant of Christ, a doulos, a bond slave by choice, you must not quarrel. This is speaking to the church. There should not be wars amongst you, fights amongst you, disputes amongst you. But instead, be gentle. Listen, mildness and kindness went to each other toward all men. And then you should be able to teach them. Give instructions on God's word. Able to show patience. Now, that's a hard one. Now, watch this. The New Living Translation says, be patient with difficult people. 
Now, it's easy to be patient with people that are, are going to follow, you know, uh, your lead. But be patient, listen, with difficult people. Some of you are thinking of your co-workers right now. Some of you are thinking of your bosses. You be patient with them, Pastor Bob. Be patient with difficult people. They need to see Christ in you. Lord, have you ever prayed this? Give me patience because I, I just, every time I get around this person, every time I get around that person, give me endurance. That's what he's asking here. For those that frustrate me, do I pray for them or I just get mad at them? Do I desire to see them to come to Christ or do I want to just get away from them as soon as I do see them? There are those people that annoy you. I don't care uh, we're Christian or not. There's people that will rub you the wrong way. There's people that become that little burr under your saddle. They, they're that little pebble in your shoe and you can't shake it. You're going, why are they always here? Whatever it might be. I thought about this. Maybe it's you that they're talking about. Oh, no, no, everybody likes me. Be careful. Notice now. How am I to be a servant? And he gives us the idea here. He gives us the command in verse 25. Do it in humility. Correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps, now watch this, because of your witness and your testimony, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth. Those that are difficult uh, towards you, show them humility. Show them meekness, gentleness. In correcting those who oppose you, those who are uh, oppose you, different in values of what you stand for. It never fails that opposites will always be placed in your path. God will test you. God will challenge you. You struggle in forgiveness, you will be put to the test to forgive. You struggle with being patient, God will place an impatient person before you. Now listen to the conclusion of verse 25 at the bottom of the verse. Because of your kindness, because of your humility, because of your gentleness, your testimony, you could... Bring others to repentance. People watch us, like it or not. Well, let's see Joe Christian today. Because they will never see the good things you do, but they'll always witness the bad things and they'll let you know it. Listen, I've been there before. But imagine that your witness, your testimony, your actions could lead others to repentance. A change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. As I was preparing this portion of the study, I was thinking of my good friend that was a witness and a testimony to me at work for three years. Oh, there was times I was angry and frustrated with him. There was times I threw the scriptures back at him. He would write them in a piece of paper. I want you to study this tonight. And I go, you study, and I throw it back. And then I go back the next day, aren't you going to give me another verse? And then he'd say, well, you threw it last time. Oh, don't pay attention. I had a bad day. But you want to listen, but you don't want to admit you're wrong. Be a testimony. Be a witness. Do it in humility. They will see you do one bad thing, and they will miss a hundred good things that you did. And so we have to be on guard. That's why we continue in faith. 
Imagine that somebody would see your walk. Somebody would desire what you have and that they would come to saving grace because of your testimony that you were before them. And little did you know. Look at verse 26, the conclusion now. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will, the devil's will. Again, because of your witness, your testimony, in patience, in humility, in gentleness and kindness, your testimony for Jesus Christ, it shines forth. Some would come uh, to their senses. Listen, come to a sober mind, a clear mind, and escape the snare or the trap of, of Satan because they were taken captive. They were a prisoner of the devil. Doing his will, his desire. Imagine that your walk again, your testimony in Christ, would bring others to saving grace. Now, we shared this last week. Many people will never go to church, open the Bible, read it for themselves. And yet we, the Christian, the true believer in Christ, we have the answers. We may be the only Bible they will ever see or read. We are walking epistles, Paul said. Letters from God, our witness, our testimony could bring them to saving grace. Turn to this last passage. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Paul took it upon himself. I believe the Holy Spirit was always sharing this with Paul. Be an example, be a witness, be a testimony. And imagine Paul's in house arrest. It was considered prison. He was shackled to, uh, you know, a Roman soldier, there in Rome, he, he had a two-year span, then he was let out for a season, and then he went back in. Uh, they said he was only in maybe six months, eight months, but then he was beheaded. Now, Paul, people would come to see him in house arrest, and the Roman government allowed him to share. And they would bring Paul food and such. And they would bring Paul information of what was going on in some of the churches. This is why he would write to them. And so Paul had the freedom. But yet Paul was a witness. We know, according to other epistles, that many at Rome that were soldiers came to know Christ through Paul's ministry. Some of your friends, some of your family, some of your loved ones, some of your co-workers probably will never go to church, but they're going to watch you. They'll never open the Bible, but they're going to watch you. Listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3, look at verse 2. You are our epistles, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, a letter of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. And listen to this. Not on tablets of stones, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. You see, we're not just to read. This is beautiful. We read the scriptures, we study the scriptures, but the Bible says that we need to make application. We must place these things in, in our hearts. Lord, I don't want to argue no more. Lord, I don't want to quarrel no more. Lord, I don't want to curse anymore. Lord, I don't want to drink. I don't want to do drugs no more. Lord, i got to make a stand for you, uh, the foundation, which is Christ. God takes these things from you. If you are sincere with him, he will be sincere with you. People see us. 
And they want to know, what is it about this born-again experience? What is it about this changed life? What is it that you're this vessel of honor now that you used to be a vessel of dishonor? I want to be more like Jesus on a daily basis. I want to end with this story. Years back at Calvary Chapel at West Covina, where we had gotten saved there. We were part of the church for about three years. They were meeting, uh, you know, at an old Safeway store, about 600 when we were there. It was always packed, and uh, ushers had a, a lot of work in those days. They had a parking ministry. They had to take people down the hallway to the children's church. They had to make sure everybody was seated, make it sure everybody moved in because there was never enough room. And there was a testimony given of a man that used to go past that street because he lived in the neighborhood. And he would see the cars. He would see the people. And so finally one day, his, you know, curiosity, he comes into the church, and he's greeted by an usher, and the usher treats him, you know, great. How are you, sir? How are you doing this morning? God bless you. Is there anything I can do for you? Here's the bulletin. Uh, anything you'd like to know? The bathrooms are over here. Cup of coffee. You know, whatever. This man gave testimony later. He walks in. They sat him down about, you know, the third row. The worship came out. It was beautiful. The preacher came out. The word of God was preached. But he says, I never heard the worship, and I never heard the word of God preached. All I sat there and thought about that usher. Why did he treat me so good? Why did he smile? Why did he put his hand on my shoulder? Why did he care? Why did he seat me personally? Why did he give me a... He was asking all these questions. And when the invitation came, that's why he got saved. Because of this testimony of this man. Obviously, that doesn't always happen. But when I'm trying to share, you're a walking epistle. God has written his word on the tablets of your heart. <laughs> and people see you. And people want what you have. I'm tired of my lifestyle. I like what that person has. And so they would come to saving grace. Paul says, Timothy, you began in faith. Continue and finish in faith. And that's our encouragement this morning. Let's all stand and we'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy, Lord. Father, Paul kept speaking to Timothy, continue in this God-given faith. Pursue righteousness, holiness. Pursue the things of God. And Lord, we can't do that unless we truly come to saving grace. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here this morning I'd like to give that opportunity. Maybe you've been in church all your life and maybe you've never uh, acknowledged Christ as your Savior. Today is the day of your salvation. We're not here to embarrass anybody and I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at, 
with every eye closed and every head bowed. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Christ and you'd like to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. I'll say a simple prayer of faith. If that's you this morning, the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, raise your hand and I'll say a simple prayer. I see your hand way in the back. I see your hand up here in the front. I see your hand right there in the middle. Anybody else would like to receive Christ this morning? It's a simple step of faith. Praise the Lord. Then let's pray. Father, I thank you for the hands that went up, Lord. Father, you know their hearts. You know their individual hearts, Lord. You know their need for a Savior. Lord, it's you that they need. Lord, you paid the price for their lives at Calvary. Lord, forgive them right now. Lord, as they confess their sins, you're faithful, you're just uh, to forgive them. Lord, forgive them of all their sins, past, present, and future. Lord, we don't need to know their sins because you know their sins. In Psalm 139, it says that you're the all-seeing eye, that you know everything. You know everything about us. Lord, save these that raise their hand by faith, Lord. Save them, Lord, and come into their life. Lord, empty them of themselves and fill them with your Holy Spirit now, Lord. Baptize them in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Lord, give them a hunger and a thirst for your word, Lord. Give them a hunger and a thirst to seek you further, Lord. Lord, bless them now. And Father, we pray for uh, the rest of us, Lord, that you would just encourage us, minister to us, Lord, that we would truly be those witnesses to our family, friends, loved ones, and co-workers, and even our enemies, Lord, that we would learn to love them into the kingdom of God. Father, bless the offerings this morning. Lord, as you've given to us, we, we give back a portion. Lord, we ask you to bless uh, tonight's dinner. Uh, there at Fat Eddie's Grill, Lord, just encourage us as we come together, Lord, and fellowship and break bread. Lord, bless your people now. In Jesus' name, we pray, and we all agree by saying amen.